what's going on just goes to show listeners it's your co-host ridge we're back with another pod yeah back uh, ridge had a nice little extended vacation uh so took a week off got the uh the batteries recharged and uh, a lot of prem action in between but we are back and ready to go yeah thank you for referencing the energy levels of my batteries there chris they're definitely uh recharged um no but if you for anyone ever planning on going to the dominican republic um paramount has like an exclusive streaming rights on all the premier league action in the dominican so um your peacock your other streaming services won't work unless you have paramount plus so if you're an absolute psycho and you want to sign up for like a one month membership so you can watch prem while you're in the dominican not that i ever did that um you know that's usually the move to watch games down there that would have been good for me to know about two months ago when i was in the dominican but i was not aware did try to go on peacock didn't work so next time i'm there i'll keep that in mind i guess yeah i actually met um it's uh while i learned that from someone i went golfing when i was down there be i was talking to someone who was going out on the golf course who was a spurs fan um who gave me the intel and he's he played fpl as well so FPL travels, the Prem travels. Um, just goes to show travels. Just goes to show travels. It's coming up a lot lately. Um, uh, shout out to my Uber driver yesterday on the way back from my soccer game uh, or on Sunday night, who was at, I plugged the podcast with. So um, we got a lot of Prem fans all across the world in, in different corners, whether it's the DR, whether Uber's in Chicago. So um, what uh, what we're covering today, we're going to cover a little bit of the weekend recap. Per usual, we'll look back at some notable headlines from the weekend. Um, there's been a, a few updates on the manager front um, from, for a couple different clubs. Um, talk about the player year discussion on the back of the FIFA awards that, that happened yesterday. Um, and some other headlines, including uh, Ivan Tony um, and his addiction to gambling, just like our, our whoa, co-host whoa, Chris. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, <laughs> And uh, and then we'll we'll pop into the fantasy corner per usual. We like to drive by there. Um, I'm presenting trivia to Chris, and we've got a new, I want to say a new realm of trivia. We're gonna talk trivia about something we haven't really talked about before. I'm terrified. Um, Absolutely then, terrified. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're gonna then we'll go to predict draft picks towards the end, as always. Um, if you want to join our NBC predict draft league, the code is S nine Y Q B six. So just jump to the app store, download NBC predictor app. You can predict the games. Games for uh, you know if you're not into fantasy and you just kind of want to follow, it's a nice. It's a free app. You can make free picks um, and win some money if you get all your picks right and do the opposite of what we usually predict on the pod. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we have not had a lot of success in the predictor as of late, or my gambling. Um, hopefully, I've been Tony fared better. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I so the the main match of the weekend that I wanted to discuss was the most recent one. Um, I think that one had the. The most talking points from it, it was Spurs 2 at home against Chelsea. Um, and, and another goalless performance for Chelsea. Uh, the first half was pretty back and forth. There was a lot of energy in it. Um, right before halftime, Hakeem Ziyech saw red and then didn't, which was pretty insane. He uh, got a yellow card for a, a bad tackle. And afterwards, there was a little bit of a skirmish. He was shoving, kind of swinging some fists at guys, got a second yellow. And then it was uh, redacted, I guess would be the word. I don't know, but it was res- rescinded, I guess would be the right word there. Um, and so he stayed on the pitch. It didn't matter. Um, less than a minute into the second half, Oliver Skips scores an absolute rip. His first ever Spurs goal. Not the guy you would have expected to get on the score sheet. And then from there, Spurs really controlled the match. Harry Kane 
grabbed another one in the 82nd minute and another another loss to Graham Potter and four wins in four uh, for Spurs under Christian Stellani, their uh, caretaker manager, while uh, Conte is away from his gallbladder surgery. It sounds like he should be back within the next week or so, but a really, really impressive run of form for Spurs and Chelsea, uh, another match without scoring. Yeah, and as you're talking about that, Chris, we got Graham Potter, Harry Kane. I was just thinking, like, Oliver Skip, if he was – if Harry Kane was Harry Potter and Oliver Skip was in Gryffindor, I think Oliver Skip would be like Neville Longbottom, you know? Like, in the same house, kind of grew grew up through the academy and the club, kind of an unsung hero, just operates in the backgrounds. But he's impossible to dislike. Like if you're a Spurs fan, you've got to love Oliver Skip in your central midfield. And what a name! I didn't like, know you were going central to the, name. the Harry Potter thing there. Even though you mentioned Harry Kane and Graham Potter, I was just thinking those are the three <laughs> most English-sounding names I've ever heard in my life. So the Harry Potter <laughs> connection does kind of fit. I've actually been playing a little bit of the new Harry Potter game that came out, uh, Hogwarts nice. Legacy. I know it's been making the rounds with a lot of people. My brother got it, so I've been sneaking in and, and playing every now and then. It's pretty fun. But you're right. No, uh, Albert Skip, he's another guy who came up with Spurs, has made a lot of appearances for the club, but hasn't really um, like sealed a starting spot in their 11. But he plays a good amount, and you're right. He probably idolizes Harry Kane. Um, so for them to both score, really big. And his goal was an absolute screamer. Um, really, really impressive. Spurs have looked pretty, pretty good. We don't talk about them that much because – there's a lot of uh, discussion about Conte, the future, the future of him with the club, um, not being uh, tied down long term. They haven't been great this season, but they're still sitting in fourth place. Um, they're very much pushing for Champions League football for the second straight season. So maybe we should be giving them a little bit more credit. Uh, and this was a, another really good win for them at home. They have a lot of momentum. And Newcastle, two games in hand, but four points back. Um, Spurs easily, easily at this point could finish top four, which I think would be considered a success for them. Yeah. And I think if you're a Spurs fan, right, like this, this is, you got to be pleased, right? Like you've just got to be pleased. Um, you're the team. It's not the sexiest brand of football, right? But the fact is, is if Spurs go one nil up against you, they're really difficult to beat. Right, and so that's a lot of their wins are sort of these two nil, two nil wins or one nil, or um, and I know they've had some defensive woes over the course of the season, but they're with their five at the back and with uh, uh, Stellini, um, Stellini, however you say his name, at the helm while Conte's been out, they're they've just been really strong defensively. Um, so I think if you're a Spurs fan, it's it's always it can be frustrating because you you, know, you have so many men behind the ball, but the fact is you're difficult to beat, and their their game management is strong enough, and it progressed throughout the course of the season as they've kind of made some lineup adjustments, right, um, and really kind of started to figure out who who works. Like Ben Davis has found some form at left wing back. Um, Emerson Moore Royale seems to have come back into favor with Spurs fans. So. Um, and then Oliver Skip is playing at a whole nother level, kind of stepping up in Bentoncourt's absence. So I think if you're a Spurs fan, you're feeling good. And it's just sort of like if you would have said, hey, you're going to be, you know, at the end of February, you're going to be in fourth. Like the beginning of the season, you probably take that if you're a Spurs fan. I would think, I think so. If you're asking for, yeah, if you're asking for any more, like it'd be a bit greedy. Yeah, and interesting too, seeing Sun coming off the bench late. Um, they, the stat kept going around all weekend, uh, especially after the lineup came out that he wasn't starting. He has four goals this season off the bench. I think it was in I think it was in two appearances prior to this uh, match, and then it was like twenty ish starts, and he had one goal. 
uh, as a starter. So yeah. uh, maybe he's at that stage. It's been really weird with him this year. He was so good last season, and it feels like his form has just dropped off very dramatically. But if you can bring a guy like that off the bench and have an impact, that's huge. I'm not sure he's going to want that long term. But it's, I mean, good on them for kind of mixing it up. They got Richarlison in uh, for a start. Kulisevsky still um, trying to kick on a little bit this season. But they do have options up top. Um, they've had a lot of injuries. But now that they're healthy, they can move some things around. And well, it'll be interesting to see if Sun plays a bigger role the rest of the season. Obviously, Kane has been brilliant. But uh, they, they do need some other guys to contribute goals. Uh, I don't think they can rely on Oliver Skip. So something that you want to see is a little bit more out of Sun going forward. But all in all, yeah, a really good successful weekend for Spurs. Anything else you got on them? Yeah, I just think that I think it's a good call out to think that they, we might be at the end of Sun Mania, right? And I think that's a good thing to point out. Like he's not young. I want to say like quick age check on Youngman's son. He is 30 years old. Yeah. Right, uh, and he plays a really dynamic, uh, you know, high intensity, high high pace, and a lot of running position, right outside of Harry Kane, who we know doesn't do a lot of running, and so, you know, maybe maybe that's kind of where he's at. Uh, maybe we'll see him. I don't know if I can envision him kind of regaining a starting spot next season with Richarlison there, Kulisevsky, who are younger, um, and they just signed Dan Juma as well. So that'll be interesting to to watch. Could be the end, and maybe he moves, you know, sort of like uh, Sadio Mane, right, yeah. um, for a big. Big, big money move in the summer. I think that's a really good call, um, definitely. Um, the the money yeah. thing, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then Graham Potter, Chris, we've talked about this a bunch, so I don't, I, you know, I don't think we need to ramble about it. But, you know, at this point, the noose is tightening around his neck. And what do you think? What do you think happens here? You know, say Mar- March 15th is, he, is in two weeks. Is he still in a job? Well, I'll get to that in a second. So one thing I wanted to mention is just bad for worse, uh, bad to worse for Chelsea. Tiago Silva, 19th minute subbed off. He's gonna be out six weeks, so he's probably been their best player this season. And they've had they've been very good defensively just as of late, despite not scoring. Uh, but just a couple of numbers. So in 2023, so far they scored four goals in 11 matches under Graham Potter, uh, which is just mind blowing. Man City have scored more goals in 2023 against Chelsea than Chelsea have scored. Um, on top of that. As a manager, so here are some quick numbers. 26 matches in charge, 9 wins, 25 goals scored in those 26 matches, 26 goals again, so a negative goal differential. And that, keep in mind, he won 5 of his first 6 matches. So half of over half of the goals that they scored were in the first 6 matches. So in his last 20, he's they put up, uh, I believe that would be like 12 goals in the last 20 matches. Insanity. The other big thing that has made the rounds the last few days is uh, the reports that if they do set Graham Potter, it'll be a record payout for a manager. So they would be due an estimated 50 million pounds to him uh, to, to buy what? him out. 50 million pounds. And that, okay, keep in mind as well, they paid 22 million in compensation to Brighton for him and five members of their, their coaching staff. So that would be wow. 72 million sunk into him, not to mention what they've been paying him in his wages. Uh, to keep him, like, to give a little bit of perspective during that, because Chelsea obviously have a history of sacking managers with a big reputation pretty abruptly. Um, the previous record for them was Antonio Conte in 2018. They paid 26 million. So this would be 50 million to buy him out. And obviously they have the money to do that, but. 
they've invested so much into the club under him already. They've invested so much into him. They brought in his coaches. They brought in former players. Like it's a big, big step for them to cut ties. Um, so you said what? What was you said? March fifteenth. Yeah. Let me just check. Their upcoming fixtures before then. Um, they play Leeds at home on March fourth. Leicester away on March 11th. So, I mean, yeah, I can definitely, <laughs> if they don't get results in either of those games, let's say they take one point, even two points or fewer in those those two matches, I don't really see how you can keep them around. Um, but those are two good opportunities for them to get results. So they could easily change things quickly. And after that, it's Leeds, Leicester, Everton, Villa. So there's, there's opportunity there for them to pick up points. But those two matches are critical. What, what would you say at this point? I'm surprised he's still there at this point, right now as we speak. Yeah, I think. Oh, I didn't know the size of compensation. That is record breaking, and that is like staggering. That's like two x. That's doubling the record. I think. I mean, roughly just with Chelsea, what you talked about, but even I think in all of. I, I can't imagine there's anyone that would have been really any like significantly higher than that Conte 26 million number. I didn't see anything about it. Yeah. But. I mean that that's insane. So that makes me actually think that he may he may get a stay of uh, execution through the end of the season, um, especially with all the, and we've, we've discussed this on the pod, the amortization of, of their transfers, right? And so on their balance sheets, I don't think they're accounting for, you know, uh, losing another 50 million for sacking a manager um, after, you know, sinking, you know, almost 100 million into him with, with compensation already. So I actually think that makes me think, that I actually think that makes me think <laughs> that he'll last a little bit. He'll he'll last a little bit longer, um, and maybe even through the end of the season, just purely because of that. No matter how how bad the results are, I think reflecting on the hire, if Chelsea can go back in time with all the business that they've done, I don't know if it's the right profile of manager, right? Like, I I just don't think that like. Potter has the experience of sort of taking these hidden gems at Brighton, these, you know, one to 12 million pound value, valued players and ter- teaching them some of the intricacies of the game. It doesn't necessarily have the reputation of taking massive egos or really kind of highly touted prodigies in the game and then kind of bringing them under his wing and kind of grooming them through the game. Even like, you know, you could say like Dean Smith did Aston Villa with Jack Grealish, right? That's like one example for him. I'm not saying Dean Smith is the answer, but... Um, you know, there's other managers who have experienced coaching really, really top young players. Tuchel was there earlier this season, right? You look at the great players that came through under his tutelage at Dortmund, uh, Dortmund right? So, I um, yeah, I just don't know if he was the right profile of manager for all the anticipated transfer business. Because I do think, the weird thing is, is I think Potter is a good manager, right? So, all this is happening, I think... If it ends up going south, it goes south. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? Like it didn't work out for Unai Emery at Arsenal. Sometimes it doesn't work out given the circumstances of the club, the profile of the manager and kind of where the club's at in their in their journey. Um, I think if he doesn't make it, whoever picks him up off the back of that um, will be very, very, very fortunate um, and count themselves very lucky that Graham Potter is available and looking for a job i agree like does he go to like does he go to spurs you know who knows i I don't know i mean it's interesting you're right about the profile aspect in a way you don't really see the big big clubs take chances on guys like grand potter too often they almost work out of a pool of like 15 or so 
like these these managers right. that are considered world class and they just bounce around the different clubs. It kind of reminds me a little bit when David Moyes went to United and it felt like he was a little bit out of his depth uh, managing mm-hmm. so much attention in such a high profile club. So it's it's tricky. I do agree. I think he's a good manager. If you think about um, and we'll get into some of these manager updates, but like Southampton, if they find a way to stay up and they're looking for a permanent manager, they would love to have him. Um, if David Moyes doesn't make it at West Ham, like there's a lot of these clubs that are a little bit in between that aren't the top six or are fighting for European places that if they're without a manager in the summer, they're going to want to make a move for Graham Potter. Absolutely. And I'm sure he's going to be keen to get back into it and roll. He's still really young. He was having so much success at Brighton before he left. So, if Chelsea don't keep him, that he's going to get another job somewhere soon if he wants it. Yeah, agreed. Just won't tarnish it. But speaking of manager updates, so a couple of teams towards the bottom that have uh, made some moves since we last talked. Ruben Sellis has been named the manager of Southampton until the end of the season. Really doesn't have a whole lot of experience. This is his uh, kind of his first gig as a head coach. He managed the Valencia under 18 teams, and he's been an assistant at a few different clubs. Um, they did get a result against Chelsea in his first match, 1-0, uh, and then just lost to Leeds 1-0. So it seems a little bit risky. They were definitely in talks with Jesse Marsh uh, for a period of time, and it seemed like those broke down. I'm not sure if they just couldn't come to an agreement or they decided he wasn't the right fit. But it seems a little bit of a risky move. But at this point, Southampton, <laughs> they're, they're in such a bad spot. They kind of have nothing to lose. Is there any, do you have any take on, on that decision overall? Yeah, if I'm the Southampton board, I think that decision is very financially motivated. So um, I think there's a lot of these managers that are, and Jesse Marsh has kind of fallen into that bucket after he helped Leeds stay up last season. Um, They are available for a job between January 1st and sort of March 1st um, in this window, or March 15th, March, yeah, middle of March. And they, the way they structure their contract with a lot of these clubs, if they're going to get the offer, is, hey, I'll come in, I'll be your manager, and I want a big bonus if, um, if I keep you in the division, right? So that's like what Sam Allardyce is famous for, right? Big uh, avoiding relegation bonuses. And so they build that into the contract. And so as a club, it's almost like – I don't want to say it's a lose-lose – but you're sort of committing, you're sort of like committing financial suicide in a way where if you stay up, you have to pay out a big bonus to your manager. And then you sort of have a manager who you just brought in for the short term, right? Um, so, you know, hey, let's stay up, let's win, let's grind out. Like that's the whole push narrative for the season. Stay up, pay out a big bonus if you do, ta-da. And then you have to go again next season. And then if you, but if you go down, then the manager parts ways, it looks like a failed hire. And then you're, you're relegated anyway, right? So I think what Southampton have done is probably look at the manager market, think there's very few managers that I think fit the profile of both being able to help you avoid relegation and then also can next season build towards a brand of football that you want to play. A lot of the relegation specialist managers are really defensive, the Sam Allardyces, et cetera, who just sort of pack it in. And you can't really build on that in the following season, Right. So I think what Southampton just did is they looked at the manager market, said there's no one really available. Jesse Marsh might have been one of the few managers available who could have been a good short-term and long-term fit. And then because there wasn't one, um, they uh, you know they decided just to kind of promote in-house and avoid that financial debacle, and uh, and that's where they are. Yeah, I mean they got a result. Um, he's probably got a little bit more familiarity with the side as well, so that's something to keep yeah. in mind. But. Southampton still feel doomed to me at this point. Uh, and so the team they lost to this weekend was Leeds 1-0, who also just appointed a new manager, Javi Garcia, 
we have some familiarity with him. He did manage Watford in the Premier League uh, back in 2018, 2019. He actually was there for 20 months, which I view as a pretty massive accomplishment, uh, considering the average life of a Watford manager is probably like three to four months. Uh, so that's that's a nice little uh, mark on the CV for him, I guess. And he's had some time with Malaga, Ruben Kazan. Uh, so he's, he's got more experience. Um their leads are in the same spot, right? They're in the exact same spot where they're going to bring in a guy that they think they can hopefully keep them up. Uh, he's probably also in the same situation where he's set for a bonus if he does. But this one seems like they, if they do have the success and stay up, he probably will stick with them over the summer and more long term. Where Ruben Sellis is a little bit more of a question mark there. Um, but this leads side we've talked about, I do think they have the quality to stay up, They've, especially with Adams and McKinney in the midfield right now looking really solid. Um, if they keep starting Patrick Bamford, I have some doubts. But other than that, I, I do think that they have enough uh, quality in the side to stay up. What are your thoughts on Javi? Yeah, so um, it's it's actually Javi Gracia. Oh, you're right. It looks like Garcia. Yeah, whatever. Every other person on earth pronounces that Garcia. The A becomes, comes yeah. from the R, so whatever. Garcia. <laughs> I, I think... Um, I think going down, and I've said this before, Southampton and Bournemouth are going to go down. Um, I actually think Dice will keep Everton up. And then I think if it's not Leeds who go down, I think maybe I can see Nottingham Forest slipping down there. Um, I know they've had, you know, uh, but they're they're only four, you know, they're only four points clear of Everton and there's still plenty of games to play. So um, I can see Nottingham Forest slipping down there, but I think Leeds go down if uh, ahead of Everton. So Leeds are very much in trouble. I, and again, I've said I've kind of said my piece, with, you know, with Everton beef, or with uh, with with Leeds before. Um, is he a good hiring? Apparently, he really impressed the board with his tactical analysis of their of their defeat. So, who knows? Maybe he's a, a you know a strong tactical mind and just had a bad fit before in the Premier League um, with with Watford. So, who knows? But I you know I it's not not a hire that sort of like makes me jump out of my seat or I'm definitely not excited about that hire as I was when they hired Jesse Marsh last season, for example. Right. And so um, the other thing, though, like with Watford, he did get them to 11th place in an FA Cup final and then was set four matches into the next season. So I think you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, but at the same time, um, I, it's hard to say at this point, right? It, they've had a few different managers now in the past 12 months, and they've just really been up and down as a club. And I, I completely butchered that name. I just typed it in wrong. It is Gracia. So <laughs> I, I think this is a good pod. We'll end it here. Just goes to show. And uh, we'll try again next week. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, and then, Chris, David Moyes, um, he won. They uh, West Ham won 4-1. Four, four Four nil, sorry. Yep. Four nil over the weekend again. So I just mentioned Forest, right? So it drubbed Forest with a, like a flurry of late goals, right? Danny Ings had two goals, kind of all scored 70th minute or later. Yep. Um, do you think this sort of sparks the West Ham turnaround? Is Moyes set to stay through the rest of the season? Or do you think he's still, you know, kind of second behind Potter on potentially the chopping block? I think he's still very much in danger at this point. Um, you know, they did win four nil, but it's at home against Forest. And yeah, they didn't score until the 71st minute. So. Uh, Forrest made a couple of changes. They did not look, they did not go well, uh, basically, and, and West Ham took advantage. But I think it is really big that Danny Ings scored twice. Um, he's someone that I think could spark this team to to a good run of form. We've watched him for a long time in this league. He does score goals. He's just finds a way to get him. He's a really good poacher. 
Um, and he started over, um, you know, Skamaka over Antonio, who guys who have had really no success this season. So if he can find form, that's really, really important for them. And I do think that, you know, the fact that they did get four goals, they can point to this match and say, hey, guys, we're making progress. This is how we need to be playing. And, and they're in an okay spot right now. They're only two points above the relegation zone, but only one loss in their last five matches. So overall, yeah, I, I do think he's feeling a lot safer than he was a couple of weeks ago. I still think he's probably, him and Potter are the two that would be most likely to be sacked. But as the season goes on longer and longer, it, it makes sense to probably stick with the guy you have rather than make some rash changes, you know, with 10 matches, 12 matches left in the season. So at this point, I'd be surprised if he didn't stick it out for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think he's. I think he'll stay through the rest of the season. He's experienced enough. I think West Ham know that, um, and I think that they, in their minds, they're sort of turning turning the page on um, having a more complete squad. Um, and they haven't had the, the best of seasons, but I, I think he on previous accomplishments and kind of previous merit, he'll he'll stay. Um, but it will be interesting to see because I think they lose Declan Rice in the summer, so that kind of rebuilding wheel is gonna I think keep ticking for West Ham. I don't know if he's the manager two seasons out for example but who knows yeah we'll, we'll see um so let's that's enough manager talk let's talk we were we were discussing this with some friends over the weekend we were talking about it more um i don't know i want to talk more specifically in the premier league like premier league player of the year uh rather than world like the ballon d'or um because that's kind of what we were discussing but i'm kind of baffled at this point how quickly people are turning on erling holland um, you know, like in October, November, we were talking about this guy. Like he's the best player to ever play in the Premier League. And now we have friends that are talking about how he hasn't even been the best player in the Premier League this season. So I kind of want to let you take the floor at first, to start. I do have a lot of stats here um, between a handful of players that I think would be in contention. But at this point, do you think Holland's the player of the season? And if not, why? And who else would you put ahead of him? So I think... The player of the season debate, I, and actually, I think the Ballon d'Or shout, Chris, is interesting because I think we were talking about if English team last week on the pod, if more English teams start to win the Champions League, you know, will you see sort of a European Super League push, and uh, you know how like over the next five years, like will English teams win the Champions League more? I think something similar can be said about the Ballon d'Or, right? Like over the next five years, are the the days of kind of like Barcelona's starting lineup. Or, you know, Messi, Neymar, Ronaldo, like these names have just been the Ballon d'Or winners, you know, for the last however many years. Um, like, will we start to see some of these young English players, right? Like Marcus Rashford, Bakayo Saka, um, Erling Holland, all these young players playing in England sort of enter that discussion. And will someone lock that down? Because no one's won it in the Premier League in, in some time. So I, I think if you were to say... So I think that's just a way of me saying I think the English Premier League, Premier League Player of the Year discussion will sort of – it'll be interesting to see if that like kind of morphs into the Ballon d'Or with the Premier League's dominance globally. I think this season the Player of the Year discussion is hard to call now because I think it's, it is contingent on who wins the title. I, I, I really think so. So I think if City win the title, Erling Holland will win Player of the Year, right? If City don't win the title, I think a Bakayo Saka, even maybe a Martin Odegaard, can enter that 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 discussion to be the the the, the Premier League Player of the Year, just because they'll have the title and that holds a ton of weight. 
right? Um, it's like, you know, the Super Bowl MVP, like you don't give it to the you know, MVP isn't on the losing team very often. I understand Holland's numbers are insane, uh, definitely. But um, I do think there's so much to play. And I, and I think that's also like whoever goes and wins the league, uh, you know, there is still, what, 12, 13 games left in the season or 14 games left in the season, 13, 14 games left in the season. So, you know, whoever wins the league between now and then, there's still plenty of time for that person to make a really big impact, right? Like if Arsenal run away with it or seal it, right, you have to imagine Bakayo Saka is going to play out of his skin for the next 14 game weeks, right? Which will, I think, heavily impact that player of the year discussion. If City make a push to go and win, then Holland's probably scoring, you know, he's maybe making a push for 40 plus, you know, uh, 40 plus goals, maybe even getting close to 50, you know, over these next kind of uh, 13 game weeks. So, I think it is contingent. I think if you were to say like right now who wins, I would say Erling Holland just because um, of the goals. Yeah, he's so he's got twenty seven goals, four assists. Looking at Rashford, fourteen goals, three assists. So it, it, like in terms of the statistics, Holland's leaps and bounds above everybody. Saka nine goals, eight assists. It's very impressive. I would give it to Holland. I I can't imagine him not winning it unless. There's like a dramatic fall off for City, and he doesn't score, um, you know, eight to ten goals in his next 13, 14 appearances. If he gets to thirty-five goals, I don't see any way that you can't give him the Player of the Year, even if they don't win the title. And then the other guy that just hasn't—I haven't heard anyone talk about—is Harry Kane, who has eighteen goals and two assists this season. And he's putting in a really, really good season way more quietly than these other guys, probably because Spurs aren't really in any form of a title race at this point. But mm-hmm. just from a pure statistics perspective, I mean, his numbers are as good, if not better, than Saka and Rashford. Uh, right now, the form that Rashford's in, and Saka, I guess, is is the reason why I think people are having this kind of discussion. But we can't like these numbers from Aaron Holland are historical. They're insanity. I mean, he had more goals right. than anyone has had in like the last three seasons, like halfway through the season. He's already breaking yeah. the scoring records in the last few years. So it's just crazy how cold people have gotten on him. It's like, oh, well, he's not getting enough touches or he's not doing enough. It's like, look at look at the numbers, guys. This is insanity what he's doing. We've never seen anything like this. And so I feel like it's just getting watered down a little bit. There's some recency bias there. And maybe the World Cup wasn't really good for him to have that break. But at this point... I think it's a little bit ridiculous to say anyone other than him should be winning the award right now around the season. Yeah. And, 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 and I can, I see that take for sure. I just think it's, and the game is about scoring goals, right? Like you score more goals to beat the other team. Um, it, it, it really depends on how you're defining, you know, the player of the year, right? Like, uh, who is it the player who is the most important to their team, who has, like, the best all-around game, right? It's the same as, like, the NBA, you know, greatest player of all time, right? Like, who's got the most points or who would win one-on-one, right? Like, you can kind of frame the discussion around whatever you want. I, I think if you're looking at Marcus Rashford, um, the man is scoring He's absolutely on fire this calendar year. Didn't start the season as hot, right? Like nowhere near the same level as Erling Holland. So there's definite recency bias there. Um, Bakayo Saka has been really strong, more consistently, less less hot as of, like lately as um, as Rashford, but more consistently strong throughout the course of the season. And I think if Arsenal go and win the title, it's really hard not to say he's the premier, he's the the player of the season because he plays on the team that wins the league. And um, you know you need. 
you know, you would argue that, like, even though Holland's broken the scoring record, right, like, if he was so good, City would have won the league, right? So um, who's the play? You know, it's, it's, it's hard to be the, the player of the year if you're not on the, the top team. So, um, yeah, I guess it depends. And, and I think that's if you're looking at it from that, because I would say Rashford is the most important to his team at this point out of all those guys. Right, exactly. Right. Like all the goal involvements are sort of coming through him at United. And you can say that they're sort of in the title race because of his goal involvements. Right. Whereas, you know, um, goals are a little bit more spread around um, the Arsenal team with Martinelli and Katia, Jesus, Odegaard, etc. Um, and, and Leandro Trossard now. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a good debate. I, I, I just think, to your point, what's a little shocking is like with Erling Holland's goal count it's not as much of a sure thing as it looks like it should be on paper, you know? Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I just, I wouldn't have thought a couple of months ago that we'd be having a dis- like a discussion like this, um, especially just like the hat tricks he's had, some of the goals he's scored. He's just really blown me away this year. So the fact that it's even a discussion, I think, is really the point. But we'll see what happens over the next couple of months. Um, but at this, it's just hard for me to to fathom him not being considered the player of the year given what he's done. But um, I got nothing else to say on that for right now. Do you? Yeah. I I think I'd just say like it, I don't know. It's, it's a bit, there's maybe a bit of media bias here, like against Pep, right. And everything that's going on with Manchester city and them having been sort of at the top of the mountain for so long. And, you know, maybe there's an element of that at play where like, you know, people are sort of looking past this incredible season that Holland's having, and they're like, well, the Manchester City team plays into his strengths, right? And, like, they possess the ball, and they put put all the chances on the platter for him. And, you know, people who are watching the game, like, find a narrative to make it seem like it's easy what he's doing or to make it seem less impressive to sort of, whether it's rationalize it or, or knock at City or what, or, you know, knock at Pep. And um, so maybe, you know, Maybe, I don't know, maybe that just sounds stupid. Like, if you were listening to this pod five years from now, you're like, Erling Holland's going to break that Premier League scoring record and you don't think he's the best player in the league, and that's idiotic. Um, but it's hard to see through a lot of that right now. Like, during the season, it's hard to kind of see it with that clarity when we're still reacting to the, you know, week-by-week um, headlines, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fine form that Rashford's in. So I think once the dust settles on the season – you know, and, and we know who the title winner is, it'll be easier to kind of look back with a little bit more clarity on who's the player of the year. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's talk quickly about Ivan Tony because he's been in the news this week. We've we've briefly mentioned this a handful of times in the pod, but we never really dove into it too much. So uh, he this week he basically pled guilty to many of the charges issued by the FA against him. So he had 262 charges uh, issued by the FA. Some of these he's contesting. Most of them he's pled guilty to. Um, and that's the over the course of um, 2017 to 2021 are when these breaches occurred, uh, breaches of the FA's gambling laws. I did a lot of digging on Reddit and, and just weird places to try to find if anyone had any dirt or inside info on him. And I haven't really been able to find a ton of detail on how he was making these bets uh, or anything along that, that line. But... As someone who does like to gamble responsibly, uh, 232 breaches over four years is really not that much when you think about it. So he, he gambled on, you know, between like 50 and 70 
things per year. So it's not like I, I wouldn't say that is necessarily a gambling problem. I don't know the size of these bets or, or exactly what teams he was gambling on that sort of thing. Um, but people saying he's like a gambling addict and all this, I mean, maybe because you, you are breaking rules to, to do this, um, that you know, that could impact your uh, availability or your career. But there is precedent for this. So uh, Joey Barton was banned uh, in 2017 for 18 months. He had placed over 1,200 bets um, that, that he was uh, charged with. He ended up appealing that suspension and went down to 13. And then in 2021, there were a couple of Boston United players. Shout out Boston United. Uh, Andy Hey-o. Andy Thanaj and Jay Rollins, they had placed over 750 bets. They were banned for five months. No way. Yeah. Andy Thanaj, the Albanian, he's a set-piece specialist. Yeah, and I mean, Boston United, those guys were probably looking for another source of income. They're, they're semi-professional <laughs> down there, but... Um, yeah. so, so basically at this point, it, all signs are pointing to him, um, being suspended for several months at a minimum. And a lot of the chatter about why he's pled guilty now is he's done it a, l- a little bit strategically. Uh, they don't ban these players for a certain number of matches. It's, it's a certain period of time. So it looks like he'll probably serve some of that suspension over the summer. I don't know if the FA will account for that and his punishment or not. But it seems like Brentford are basically saying, hey, this is inevitable. You're going to get a ban. Let's try to have it right now while we're in a secure place in the league. We can have some of the suspension last over the summer. And then next season, we get you back. Meanwhile, he's out of contract in 2025. So he has less than two years on his deal, uh, or about two years left on his deal. And there's a lot of interest from uh, big clubs looking to potentially buy him. So I assume that won't be happening over the summer. I don't know if he will even be allowed to be transferred over the summer. So maybe buys him a little bit more time to either re-sign him or, you know, get the most out of him next January. Um, but regardless, it's a big story. He's been one of the better players in the Premier League this season. He's got 14 goals, uh, and he's been a, a really key player for Brentford. Um, so I, I guess I'm curious to see what your overall opinion is of this, what what you would think is fair in terms of a punishment and, and kind of his future overall. Yeah, I, I, it's so confusing to me because he, this is, I mean, he knows, right? Like, it's not like, oh, like he had, was on those, you know, bar, you know, the Barstool Sportsbook app on his phone, like fucking around, throwing a, t- you know, DraftKings, like a little $10 bet. Like, he knows, right? Like, he knows he can't gamble on the Premier League and professional football. Like, he just knows that, right? So um, that can't be news to him. So that makes me think that he was consciously, you know, skirting the rules and finding either friends to make bets for him or, you know, creating aliases to make bets on different accounts and sites and and whatnot. And so that all of that feels like a little bit like degeneratory, right? Especially for someone who like has as much money as he does. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I know. And, and, and again, I kind of made the joke earlier about an addiction. I don't actually know if that's, you know, what it is. And he hasn't really spoken out and said much publicly about this at all. So I, I think, yeah, if, if anyone – the more I think about it, the more I'm like, okay, you know, there is precedent. Like you said, this has got to be pretty severe punishment. Um, and I, I just kind of am confused as to why. Like what do you stand to gain, you know? Um I think that's, and, that's, uh, that's and fair it, to say that, yeah. I, like, and, 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 and sort of when was this happening, right? Like, was this when you're in the championship? Is this when you're in the prem? I don't know the specifics about each bet. But I just think, you know, I, I think if I'm like, 
Ivan Tony's agent or even his friend even. I'm kind of just asking like, hey, this happened. Nothing we can do about it now. Like, let's be strategic about what we, you know, what we do moving forward. But like, why'd you do this? Like, what, what's sort of going through your head? Are, are you, you know, and, and excited. That's what I just don't understand, you know, as someone who like, you know, I don't have a passion for gambling. So I, I just don't, I don't understand it. It definitely seems like a, a very unnecessary risk, especially when you're right. He has to be aware of the consequences of it. So to, to be aware of all that and still be doing this over the course of four years, it's not like he placed one or two, one or two bets. You know, he did this over a long period of time. <laughs> Excuse me. That's that's concerning. I think there's a couple discussions that could be had about it. Should he be punished? I think probably, yeah, right? There is precedent. It's clearly against the rules. Could it impact um, results and things like that? He's probably not gambling on his own matches, more than likely. Um, but you can make cases that if he's – Placing bets uh, on other teams within his league, he, he's got to obviously talk to some of these other players, have connections. It gets really dicey really quickly um, when it comes to gambling on the sport that you're involved in. And so I think it's it's maybe fair to have this rule in place. At the same time, half these clubs have sponsors that are gambling companies. And gambling is so ingrained in the league and the culture of, of soccer in general you go, you go over to England and there's all these different shops that you can go in and place bets at, right, over in the States here. And I assume it's happening in England, too. There's a million different apps you can download and start gambling right away on. Mm-hmm. So gambling is just becoming more and more acceptable uh, in, a, in a broad sense. But it's, it's very, very uh, tricky to say, okay, you know what, we will start allowing our players to gamble. It's a very slippery slope. And there's, there's certain guys that you probably wouldn't trust to make good decisions with that type of power. Um, I don't think that Ivan Tony is, I don't think he means to do any harm by this, but I think he's going to just have to sit back and take his punishment. I'm just curious to see how long it'll be. I mean, if he gets banned for 12 months, that's going to be a massive story. Even if it's six months, right? He, he wouldn't play yeah. uh, until the start of next season. He'll probably miss a couple of games then. So it, there will be something coming out from this. I do think the timing of it makes sense <laughs> logically for for him and his club to say, all right, you know what, now we're going to plead guilty right now because this has been a story for months. Um, but I don't yeah. really know how to feel about it overall. I don't necessarily think any less of Ivan Tony uh, for doing this. But if you don't punish him, then you're basically just saying, okay, well, we have this rule that we, we don't really care about to enforce. So I think you have to. Yeah, and I, I think it's a great that's a great point you make about all the sponsors and about how accessible gambling is. And I agree, right? Like it is really accessible and is a big part of the game. I I don't know where I sort of stand on it is if it's just sort of a byproduct of being a professional footballer, right? If you do it for a living, you can't gamble on it, right? And I feel like that's a reasonable trade off, right? Like. If you're already if you're making money through the game, you can't gamble on it, right? Like you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I, I don't know. I I, fe- I guess it feels for anyone who says like that's harsh or like players should be able to gamble. It's like I don't know. Is that the hill you're gonna die on? Like really? Like do we need to like alter rules for like players who are playing the game? Or, you know, re- like I don't know. Maybe it just seems like a pretty easy thing to say that hey, if you play the sport, like you just shouldn't be able to gamble on it. And you know, is any 
I don't know if there's anyone that passionate or is anyone like that hell bent on I should be able to gamble on you know these games like I don't know it just feels like that's a fair ask I mean from know? my perspective because, I like to gamble but if it meant that I couldn't play in the Premier League I'd say okay you know what I'm good not gambling and right. it's it almost feels a little akin to insider trading too right it's like hey you have the luxury of being in this industry um, and one of the the one of the only drawbacks is you can't profit on it this way right or lose money yeah. on it in his case probably i mean most most people don't make a lot of money gambling but you're, you're in a unique position in this industry and sorry like one of the rules is you just can't participate in that and i, I think it's right reasonable. that just seems fair yeah i think it's reasonable yeah that seems fair so we'll we'll update that as more news comes out because i think we will be hearing something pretty soon on that um and so We'll see what happens with Ivan Tony and Brentford, whether or not he moves. I mean, there would be big clubs looking at him. You know, you would think about Manchester United, Chelsea, some of these bigger clubs looking for a forward. He would be a name on the short list to look at. So this is definitely going to impact that over the summer. Yeah, um, I yeah, it, it absolutely will. And and a very like you said, unique circumstance. And I think a little, maybe a little bit more modernized than the the Joey Barton era, given all the the betting apps. Well, and, and Joey Barton's like that, a scumbag, but... so. <laughs> um, so uh, we'll, we'll do a quick drive-by here at Fantasy Corner. I don't have a ton to update on because we've had a lot of crazy like d- double game weeks and whatnot. The only shout I'll have as we drive past Fantasy Corner is uh, Game Week 28 um, is a blank for a few teams. A blank for Ivan Tony's Brentford, um, for Matoma Man's Brighton, um, and then now Liverpool, all blank in Game Week 28. Um, so there's a lot of folks who just moved to Liverpool assets assets for their double game week this past week. They still have to play uh, tomorrow, actually, as we're recording here on Tuesday. They play March 1st. Um, so I think keeping an eye on the Febu- uh, or on the 28-29 uh, and th- 27, 28, 29. There, there's doubles for Brentford and Brighton in 27 and 29. And so you can move to some of those assets, but just know that they blank in 28, right? So uh, move to some of those assets knowing that you need enough playing players in 28. Once we kind of get through that, it looks like we'll have a couple weeks with um, without doubles. So I think there'll be a lot of people captaining Matoma in game week 27. Um, at Stupignan's a really attractive asset from Brighton. And then I actually, aren't, I'm not going to move to Tony with all this nonsense going on. So I like sort of eyeing uh, Brian and Bomo um, as, uh, and, and maybe Ben Me in their back line as well. I know you're a big Ben Me fan, Chris. Yeah, I've had him for a while. I don't, you're right though. It's probably, probably be a little bit weary of picking up Tony right now because you don't know when this is going to yep. drop. Uh, it's a little bit, it's a little scary. Um, I've got David Raya and Ben Me right now. So, Looking good there, and I don't really have anything to add other than still unbeaten since the World Cup in our league. So, yeah, tough, tough. Well done, well done. I'm gonna keep well talking done. about it um, until I lose, and then I'm never gonna talk about it again. <laughs> well, yeah, you keep talking about it, you keep winning. So, um, I, so I'm I'm presenting trivia this week. You want you down ready to move to trivia? Let's do it. All right, cool. So trivia this week is going to be a little bit different. Um, So I tease that at the top of the pod. We got sort of a slightly different topic. So instead of doing like a time lock where you sort of get infinite guesses, we're going to do something a little bit different here, Chris. Um, I'm going to give you three or five guesses to guess three clubs, okay? Um, And then after those those guesses have – we'll allow you three more guesses – and I'll give you a little bit of leeway. So here's here's sort of the explanation. So basically, there's two sequence of guessing. I expect you to score 50% or higher in the total 
uh, to get. I expect you get 50% of the clubs at least, and then 50% of the second question. Okay. I'm very so if you can get half of all this right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the way I'm explaining it is a little confusing. So, uh, okay. So I'm looking for you to name. You get you get five guesses of clubs, but I'm looking for you to name the three smallest Premier League grounds this year in the Premier League. So three smallest Premier League stadiums in terms of capacity. Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously you don't get infinite guesses because there's only a finite number of teams, right? So I give you five guesses to get the the three smallest. Okay. Um, and there's no time limit, so I'll just kind of give you. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, for the sake of yeah. our trivia music in the background here, I'll give you you know 30 seconds to guess five teams. Okay. I'm um, gonna start with Bournemouth. Okay. You're not gonna tell me if they're right. Um, <laughs> I. I I think I. Yeah, I think you go five teams, and I'll let you know how many you got. Okay, so I'm going to go with Bournemouth. I'm going to go with Redford. Yep. Um, oh, wow. Okay, Southampton. I don't love that, guess. Okay. Any guesses? I will say uh, Fulham. I've been there, so off. I feel really embarrassed. Yep, and then final guess. Final guess between a few clubs here. I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna say Palace. I've been there too, so yeah, I don't love that. All right, um, so that's that's time on your on your five clubs, um, and you guessed all three correctly out of your five guesses. Um, well done. So the smallest Premier League ground is Bournemouth's ground, the Vitality. Uh, Vitality Stadium. I knew that one. Right. Also known also known as Dean Court. So that Dean Court is historically what it's named, but called Vitality for sponsorship reasons as of late. Um, Brentford is the second smallest. Right, so well done, the Brentford Community Stadium, um, and then third smallest is Selhurst Park Crystal Palace, uh, which you've been to. I have. And it's currently the third smallest Premier League ground. Um, so you've been to two of those five: uh, Fulham, Fulham, Southampton. I've been to both of those grounds, um, and uh, they are not three of the smallest, although not especially large either. Yeah, I thought those were pretty good um, guesses, but I was I was nervous. Not getting, not hearing you say correct. It's just really nerve-wracking. I was like, what if I go <laughs> Even though I knew Bournemouth had to be uh, there, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. So those three clubs, so we got Bournemouth, Brentford, and Crystal Palace. The next guess, so the second part, so you're three for three, so you're at about, you're about 1,000 right now. Love that. Um, the, next, the next the next, guess is I want you to guess the capacity of each of their stadiums. So Bournemouth Fatality Stadium, a.k.a. Dean Court, um, Brentford, Brentford Community Stadium, Crystal Palace, Selhurst Park. Um, and I want you to guess the capacity, and I'll consider it right if you're within 2,000. Oh okay. Okay? Yeah. So uh, you can start with any anyone you want to start at. All right. And and the, again, I'll give you kind of 30 seconds, to 10 seconds for each for each one. I'll just go in order of smallest to biggest. So Brent, uh, Bournemouth Vitality, I'm going to go with 22,500. Um, okay. Brentford, I will say twenty-five thousand. 
Okay. In Palace, I will say 30,000. Okay, uh, so that's time. That was pretty quick. Well done. Um, so you were incorrect on all three. Yeah, thought, I thought um, it might be. So you did. Okay, so all in all, some summarization of trivia, you did get half of the questions right. So you got all three teams, but all three of your um, capacities were wildly off. Wild. Well, not wildly off. You got you you, you got closer as we got larger. Was um, really that small? Really small. Yeah. So Dean Court Vitality Stadium is a capacity eleven thousand three hundred and sixty-four. So half of what you said. Wasn't even within ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, that right. is so small. Um, I mean, I knew it was small, but it's kind of hard to right. to picture those numbers if you don't know them. Mm-hmm. But wow, what a tiny, tiny club! They're gonna be back down the championship next year. Yep, smallest smallest uh, Premier League stadium. Um, then second smallest is Brentford with seventeen thousand. So you're eight k off there with your guess of twenty. What do you say, twenty five? Yeah, I mean, once I started with the twenty two five, I had to go up from there. So yep. I kind of, yep. kind of boxed myself into the Brentford one. <laughs> um, yep. So there, yeah. there's seventeen thousand two hundred fifty is the Brentford Community Stadium. Um, so I've been there as well. Um, and then the uh, third smallest is Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, whose capacity is 25,486. Okay. I wasn't too off on that one. Fun fact, also, right. the ground that they use for Richmond and Ted Lasso, which comes back on March 15th. Look at that. He's throwing fun facts into receiving trivia. I love that. Um, that distracts from my con- failures. Continuing with fun facts, um, if there's one team that gets promoted from the championship, so we get a bonus question here, Chris. If one team gets promoted to the championship or from the championship to the Premier League next season, right? So current hint is like they're they're in contention. Um, it will be the lowest capacity stadium in the Premier League below Bournemouth, assuming Bournemouth stay up as well. You want me to guess that? Yeah, which which club would have a smaller stadium? Luton. Yeah, that is correct. The Mad Hatters. I don't well think done, they'll go Chris. up. Luton, Luton, Luton is Town. so tiny. Yep. So they their capacity is ten thousand three hundred and fifty six. So they would if they get promoted, they would be the, the smallest Premier League ground. Unreal by, that Bournemouth uh, is only a thousand more than that. That is insane. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, I'll give a special shout out here because this is again this is like a trivia site. We've never really done like stadiums and capacity, but um, some of these as I was kind of going through um, the smallest Premier League stadiums ever by capacity, I had a bit of a, a some affinity for so. The second smallest um, Premier League stadium ever to exist in the top division I've also been to. Chris, can you guess it? Second smallest ever. Second smallest ever. So it's slightly bigger than than Bournemouth's ground, right? Um, And some hints are um, Andy Ridgway has been there. Kyle Ridgway has been there. Gage Mankowski has been there. Connor Jennings has been there. Oh, God. Uh, Charlie Hyde. Who did you guys go see? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're just there. I can't remember right. who you went and saw, though. Um, it's like a year ago. I know. So it, it was Oldham Athletic in the oh. uh, Well, in I've the been there, Premier too. League. You have been there. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> that would so have been a better clue for me. Than, that would have been a better than hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been there. No offense, but... <laughs> 
He's not listening anyway. Um, so yeah, so Oldham Athletic is 13,000. So Oldham are now in the same league as Wrexham for anyone listening like Wrexham. So that's the fifth division of English football. So it's some kind of professional teams in there. That that ground uh, in the fifth tier is 13,559 capacity. Um, and that was the second smallest in Premier League history. So Bournemouth's still 2,000 less than that. How oh, the mighty Latics um, have fallen. Yeah, some other some other famous stadiums that are featured, Chris. You've been to another one here on this list. Um, some famous stadiums that they're in the smallest ten all, all time. Um, you've got the Dell, Southampton's old ground. Um, uh, was, until two thousand one, was their stadium it's the fourth smallest with fifteen thousand. You got Bloomfield Road, Blackpool with sixteen thousand. You've got the baseball grounds, Derby County's old stadium with eighteen thousand. Um, you've got Loftus Road love, to QPR and, love, and love Fulham at one point in the Prem. Yeah. Yeah. Eight, 18,000 was in the Premier League. You've got Liberty Stadium, Swansea City's yep. ground um, at just under 21,000. And then Fratton Park um, at just under 21,000 with Portsmouth as the smallest uh, Premier League ground. That's that's fun trivia. Those are good facts. I would say um, Craven Cottage and Loftus Road, if you're going to London trying to see games, those are two awesome grounds to see games at yeah fantastic and um i i think anyone who's listening who's thinking about you know i need to see a game like any of these grounds that are sub you know sub twenty five thousand, sub twenty six thousand, i guess to include palace like awesome spectacles to catch a game that you're right on top of the pitch you hear the players talking um and uh and i think it just adds to the atmosphere you know sellers definitely doesn't feel small when you're there either but if you compare it to like spurs or old trafford or right. you know it, it definitely dwarfs in comparison but it's got a lot of energy there that, that was a fun one a lot of a lot of history there and i feel like a real dummy for the bournemouth guests but at least i guess the, the club's right i wasn't like throwing out <laughs> something really stupid for those guesses so right like you didn't you didn't say like goodison or something right. so you're um yeah you did well cool all right. Well, uh, appreciate that, Jack. Let's do our predictor picks and get out of here, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. We got first game, Arsenal against Bournemouth. Bournemouth pl- playing away from uh, the Vitality um, at – this one's at uh, at the Emirates. So who do you got on this one? Yeah, Bournemouth just gave up four to City. Arsenal with a, a tidy 1-0 win against Leicester. I think Arsenal are going to win the games that they need to win at this point in the season. Uh, I don't think they're going to throw away the title race. I'm going to say 2-0. I think this will be a, a really good performance from them. Bournemouth just don't have the the skill or the quality to keep up with them. Yeah, I think the last game really showed that Bournemouth don't really know how to tactically line up when they're playing a team of far superior quality, right? Whereas like an Everton does know how to do that um, with Dyche. Good point. Um, so Bournemouth just looked, they just looked really clueless. Gary O'Neill, five at the back. They just didn't look good didn't know how to press with five at the back um and they that's not the formation they were playing in weeks previous so i think arsenal win this one i'll say three no i think it's a bit of a drubbing okay and then oh by the way quick quick side note we'll be able to watch a lot of these games together hopefully uh, as we'll be together for the first time for a Premier league weekend in a few months and of course it's yeah, it's, our, it's my least favorite fixture of the season uh is the next one we got villa against palace I would love to see both yeah. teams win, but we know that can't happen. What do you like in this one? Yeah, I think this one will be a good game. Um, and I hate uh, – this one's a tough watch every time they play. Villa at home, coming off a really good 2-0 win. Palace just can't score. That's that's the problem. Um, and so I think Villa will win uh, 2-1. Yeah, it seems like Will Saha's nearing a return, but I don't think he'll be back for this weekend. So you're right. Palace just can't score. They haven't really looked – 
bad necessarily the last few matches. It was a good result against Liverpool, nil-nil. Um, but Villa do score a lot of goals. So if they can get on the board early and, and have Palace flank from behind, I like Villa a lot in this one. Uh, I'm going to go with 1-0 Villa, though. Well, yeah, I actually like that result more, but I'm going to stick with 2-1. Just I, I was going to say 2-1 you know. until you said it, so we could switch if you want. <laughs> but... No, 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 no. Right. let's stick with 2-1. Okay, and then we have Wolves at home against Spurs um, in our next match. Where are you like there? Yeah, Wolves, like I said, I'm a bit of a sneaky fan for this Lobotegi Wolves side. A couple injuries at the top, uh, top of the pitch for Matias Cunha. Um, he, he hasn't really found full fitness since since moving to Wolves. Um, Spurs coming off a good result. I think away they're going to be difficult to beat. I th- you know they'll nick a goal. I'd like another two new win for them. I just think that's their kind of recipe. Um, I I don't hate that pick. Wolves. I agree. They they've been a little bit better form. Um, they got a goal involvement from Ralph Menes. Shout out him. He's really not been the same player since his nasty head injury. He's had some other injuries to deal right. with. Too, but good to see him getting assists last weekend. Um, I do think Spurs are too much. I'm going to go two one. I think Wolves will get a goal. Okay, fair play. And then next result, we've got Southampton against Leicester. Um, bottom of the table, Southampton at home. Um, how do you think they fare? Hey, Leicester are a team that seemed to score and concede a lot under Brendan Rodgers. But uh, for some reason, I don't see goals in this one. It just looks like a little bit of a snoozer. I'm going to go nil-nil draw, which I don't think would be the worst result for Southampton. Ooh, woof. Um, I think Leicester score away here. So I'm going to say... 2-1, Lester. Okay. And then we have two more. So the next one is Forrest, who just took a beating uh, at home against Everton. So this is the second. The last one really as well. The, the Southampton Leicester is a bit of a relegation scrap, even though I think Leicester are safe. This one could have major implications on the, the relegation battle. Forrest at home against Everton. What do you think in this one? Yeah, this one, if you're a purist you know, don't watch. If you love a challenge and you want to see two teams just flying at each other from set pieces um, and, and really getting stuck in, Andre Onana will be, f- f- um, or Amadou Onana is going to be absolutely flying all over the place. Um, I think this is going to be nil-nil. It's got nil-nil tattooed all over. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Onana picked up a yellow card in like the second minute uh, last weekend. He loves to dive into tackles. I, I could see a red card in this one. Um I'm. I don't hate nil nil. Uh, I'm gonna go one one. It does feel like a draw. I think both teams are coming into this match thinking draws are good results, and I don't know. I, I like Forest with the home edge, so I'm gonna go one one. And then our last one would be the marquee matchup of the week: uh, Liverpool at home against Man United. Liverpool finding a little bit of form as of late, uh, and United have been red hot. No pun intended there. What do you uh, think in this one? This one's really tough to call. It's at, it's at Anfield. Liverpool are always a little bit better at home. Um, I think we're going to see a bit of a gap emerge between these two teams. I, re- I like United to win 2-1. Uh, yeah, United have come off some really good results. They obviously, we didn't talk about it. They won the Carabao Cup over the weekend. Uh, and prior yeah. to that, last week, they had a nice uh, performance against Barcelona. So they just feel like they have so much momentum, but Liverpool are starting to kick on, and I think this is a time for them to step up and make a little bit of a statement. If they're going to be finishing top six or around the top four teams in the league, they need to win one or two of these matches that are going to be a little bit tougher fixtures. I'm going to say they get it this week. I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. 
so reverse of my score line. Yeah. Uh, very bold pick. Um, well, uh, that concludes our, our sort of scheduled agenda here. As always, quick Twitter plug. Follow us at Goes to Show Pod. Um, give Chris or I a follow. If you go to that Twitter account, you're going to see both or one of us at the very least. Um, and you can obviously get access to Chris, Chris's um, Tony-esque betting picks for the weekend. Yeah, I'm still not winning that many of them. So I might have to reach out to Ivan, see if he has any good tips for the weekend. Um, but but realistically, I'll keep making them. And, you know, tail me if you want to. I, I don't necessarily expect anyone to, to go with my picks. I did have a nice one uh, last week. But um, make your own picks. Send them to us. I'd love to, to get some other ideas out here. I know I, I keep mentioning them, but Scar does all this crazy research. So I'll definitely be promoting whatever he picks. Um, I'm sure he'll have plenty ready to go for the weekend. Can you imagine if you DM Ivan Tony after he just pleads guilty? You DM him like, hey, I, hey, Ivan, you got any ins- inside scoops I'd, Honestly, the weekend? Would, I'd probably be like the 10,000th person to do that. I bet you he's just getting flooded with – there's so many English lads, like 20-year-olds, that are like, yo, Ivan, what do you got for this weekend, yeah. mate? I bet you he gets comments walking around all the time too. That's tough. That's tough. He's probably, yeah. Well, like we said, you shouldn't have done it, I guess. Yeah. So, um, well, that's all I got, Chris. You got anything else? No, feeling good. All right. Lovely. Well, um, appreciate everyone listening. Um, and uh, that's, we'll conclude this week's pod. As always, just goes to show. Everybody's human. Thanks for listening.